0: Hey, if you have a Bible with you, open up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning as we conclude our short mini-series called Love Without Limits. We're looking at different parables, three different parables of Jesus that have to do with loving God and loving others. So let me pray for us, and then we will dig right in. Jesus, we, again, we thank you for who you are Thank you for allowing us to just be here today, to be here, to worship, Lord, to express our gratitude for what you have done for us and who you really are, the King of the universe, the Lord of our lives, our Father, our Creator. God, you are great. Lord, as we ponder and think about your greatness, would you fill our hearts with thankfulness and gratitude that is expressed in how we love others. Show us what that means and what that looks like today as we look at Luke chapter 10. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I got a question for you. So who would you think would have a better understanding of what it means to love others? Would you think a lawyer who specializes in religious law or Jake from State Farm. All right. Now, which one do you think? <laughs> now, I guess it depends on your insurance company. Maybe you think the gecko knows more, right? You would, hope, you would hope the religious leader would know what it means to love others, but like a good neighbor, right? Jake from State Farm is there, right? I promise they have not paid us or anything to say this, okay? This is just just an illustration, people. Here's the thing. In this series, we're talking about what it means and what it looks like to love God, but also what it looks like to love others. Today, specifically, we're talking about what it looks like to be a good neighbor. Now, when we talk about loving God and loving others, the first thing we have to realize is the only reason we can even love God is because He first Loved us. Jesus came to earth to rescue you, right? To save us from our sin, our misery, of our own doing. By living the life we could never live, by dying the death we should have died, and by raising from the grave. He did these things in our place, for us, as our substitute before a holy God. We could not stand before a holy God, but Jesus has. He has accomplished this on the cross through his death and resurrection. So when we look at what we've been given, when we look at the gospel, when we look at the grace of God in our lives, it should overwhelm us with gratitude, with thankfulness, so that we can't help but share and extend the love, the grace, the forgiveness we've been given. We become eager to extend it to others. That's exactly what we've learned in these first two parables as we've looked at what it means to love God, what it means to love others through forgiveness, and now today, what it looks like to love others as defined as our neighbor. In the scene today in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is having a discussion with a religious lawyer. He's talking to him about what it means to be a good neighbor. So would you look with me in Luke chapter 10? I want us to walk through this dialogue and then Jesus' story that he tells. I want us to walk through this together and then we'll talk about it at the end and make make some points. So look at uh, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Luke says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit? eternal life. Now, when it says lawyer, right, this is not some injury lawyer that you see on the TV commercials, okay? Not just one call and that's all, right? This is a guy who has devoted his life to studying the scriptures, right? The Old Testament scriptures, the Mosaic Law. So a Jewish lawyer was someone who was an expert in this. So this man is highly religious. In today's world, he would be like a priest, a Catholic priest, or a or a Protestant, a Baptist pastor, something like that, someone who's devoted their lives to studying and teaching the Scriptures. So he stands up, right? He stands up to test Jesus. He's not sincerely asking this question, what must I do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? Let's see what Jesus thinks about this, right? Verse 26, Jesus, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I love this response because Jesus knows this man is a lawyer, and so he turns the question back on him. Well, you know the law, you tell me. Verse 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So, the, the lawyer quotes from the Old Testament. Again, he's the expert. He knows what it says. And these are the two commands that Jesus himself says are the most important two. Out of the whole Old Testament, Jesus boils it down to this. He summarizes, right, all of the law and says, yes, right, it's these two. So, this guy knows the right answer. I, I imagine at this point, it's kind of like, you know, He's pridefully standing there almost like a second grader getting the answer right in class and just kind of waiting for the teacher to give him a gold star, right? He's just waiting for Jesus to just come pat him on the back and say, hey, all of you, you should be like this guy. Verse 28, Jesus, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So Jesus, Jesus, he affirms that okay, the guy got the right answer, right? But understand this. Eternal life is not something you get by doing anything. And that's not what Jesus is affirming here. Now, yes, if if you were to if you were to love God and love your neighbor perfectly, right? Perfectly throughout your whole entire life, you never sinned against God and you never sinned against another human being. If you did that, then yes. You would inherit eternal life based on your perfect performance. But have any of you done that? (laughs) Have any of us ever done that? Has anyone ever done that? Well, no, except for one. Jesus himself is the only one who's ever done that. And that's exactly why we need Jesus, right? To step in our place as our substitute, his life, his death, his resurrection for us because we can't. So if that's true, then what is Jesus saying here? He's saying a true follower of Jesus will live out their faith. It will be evident, right? There will be fruit in your life showing that you do love God and you do love your neighbors. But this immediately prompts a reaction from the lawyer. Look at this, verse 29. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he wants a list, right? That's what he wants. He wants a short list of people that he can be nice to so he can feel good about himself, so that he can pat himself on the back later and say, you know what, I'm doing pretty good, aren't I? So Jesus tells a story in response to this man's question, who is my neighbor? And this story is going to shatter this religious man's way of thinking about other people. Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So let's stop right there. A a, a priest and a Levite. A priest and a Levite passing by this man is, is very disturbing because these are the two, literally the two most religious people that you could possibly find in the first century around Jerusalem. The Levites, if you're not sure, they were people who assisted the priests in the temple. So these are two men who understood the need for sacrifice. They understood God's Word. They understood, or at least they knew all the right answers. They knew about loving God, but still they pass by with no regard for this man's life who's been beaten. And if no one helps this man, he will die. And they just walk on by. But that's what makes Jesus' next character in this story so shocking to his audience. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So here's what you need to know about Samaritans and the Jewish people in the first century. They hated each other, right? I mean, to say that they didn't get along, that's an understatement. There was some serious racism involved in their feelings towards one another between these two ethnic groups. Commentator Daryl Bach says this. He says, to Jews, this ethnic group, the Samaritans, were traitors. They were, at one time, Israelites who intermarried with the pagan nations and were thus seen as unfaithful to the nation of Israel. So Jews despised Samaritans. They hated them. They did not want anything to do with them. They didn't want to go near them. They wanted to stay out of their part of of Palestine. They viewed them and they treated them as less than human. So, a Samaritan is the exact kind of person that this lawyer does not want on his list of neighbors. Yet that's who Jesus chooses to illustrate in this story as doing the right thing. Look at this. Look at the rest of this story. See how far the Samaritan goes to save this man's life. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's about Two full days' wages for a, a common laborer, all right? So, two full days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So, Jesus tells this story, and then he turns back to the lawyer and says, Which of these three do you think prove to be a neighbor? to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What's Jesus' point in this story? I think it's very clear. We need to redefine the word neighbor. And we must redefine it as he does. You see, Jesus defines the word neighbor as not the person next to you, right? Whose kids run around the backyard and are very loud and probably obnoxious. I'm just thinking about my own family, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry for all my neighbors out there, right? Not the people next, next to you, not just the people, right, next to you in your neighborhood or in your apartment building, right? Not just those people. They're included for sure. But anybody, Jesus defines the word neighbor as a fellow image bearer of God. In other words, here at Kernan, we believe that all humans were created in the image of God. And God does not make mistakes, right? So God creates all different kinds of people, and all of us are created in his image. And so it's very beautiful It's beautiful that God creates different kinds of humans around this planet because it shows how much he loves every single one of us. His creativity, his beauty, his characteristics that he has put in us to worship him and glorify him. But we live in a broken world where everyone doesn't see everyone else as image bearers of God. But that's how Jesus defines the word neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Everybody is our neighbor. So if we treat anyone as if they are not as much of an image bearer of God as us, guess what? You know who that is first and foremost an insult to? That's an insult to God. If we treat anyone else in this world of another socioeconomic status, another political party, another ethnic group, whoever it may be, if we treat them as anything less than an image bearer of God, that is an insult to God. Because we are saying to him that he has done something wrong. So a true, a good neighbor will evidence they know. They know the one whose image we bear by putting the interest of others, especially those that are not like me or not like you, we put their hopes and interests before our own by loving others without limits. How do we know how to do that? Well, that's what we've talked about the first two weeks, right? Can we even do that? Well, not by the power of God. It's when we look at the love we've been given in Christ. Only then can we love others the same way. If we're really honest with ourselves, though, I think the person whom we have the most in common with in this story is unfortunately the lawyer, The lawyer who's essentially asking, Well, how much do I have to love other people? So, if we want to be more like the Samaritan in Jesus' story and less like the lawyer in the way that we love our neighbors, I think there's three things we need to avoid. And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time today. To love our neighbors well, we must avoid three things. Number one, knowledge without action. Knowledge without action. Now, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I'm actually a great quarterback, an armchair quarterback, right? So when I'm watching sports, right, especially the Jaguars, I'm a Jags fan. All right, so when I'm sitting there watching sports, let me tell you, I think I could be, I think I could probably be the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars. And I'm I'm waiting on the call, all right? I'm waiting for someone to call me and offer offer me the job, all right? So y'all are okay right now, but when the call comes, okay? So, but I'm telling you, like, come on, Trevor. Like, he was open, right? Throw it to the tight end. He was open, right? So you know how it is. It's easy, right? It's easy as you're watching a, a, a ball game to criticize, you know, the offense or the defense and you think you know. Right? You think you know what they should be doing. I mean, who, Doug Peterson, what does he know? Right? He's only won a Super Bowl and led a terrible team to the playoffs. What does he know? Right? We think we know better. With almost anything in life, most of us are great at letting others know our knowledge about a problem without actually doing anything to solve it. In many ways, if we're not careful, I think that we can armchair quarterback Christianity. Now, let me explain. We can be quick. We can be quick to know the right answers. We can be quick to know the right answers, all the right Sunday school answers, so to speak, to what's wrong with humanity, what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with America. But are we actually doing anything in our daily routines to solve these problems ourselves with the neighbor's God's given us? You see, like the lawyer, we may know the right answers. (laughs) We may know just enough Christian words and Christian lingo and Christian culture to impress other people with our knowledge of what's right and wrong with the world. But real faith, Jesus says, evidences itself in sacrifice and love for the betterment of others, even those whom we don't agree with. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, A new, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us? Sacrificially. You cannot love your neighbor with no cost. Not if we're going to love like Jesus, because Jesus loved us at infinite cost. He gave up his life. So he says, just as I have loved you, that's not just a cute little fluffy statement. That's a very hardcore statement. He says, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love. This sacrificial kind of love for one another. In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, look, listen, listen to what James says. He says, what good is it? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, James is not preaching that we're not saved by grace by grace through faith alone. He's saying what he's saying is that real faith, true faith in the Son of the Living God who gave up His life for us. When you grasp that, when you embrace that, how could you not love others? How could you not extend the mercy? and the grace to those in need. That's what James is saying. It should be evident. So look at the Samaritan, right? Think about the Samaritan in Jesus' parable. What did he do? He moved toward the problem. Now, the two religious people, the armchair quarterbacks of, of the Jewish law, right? Oh, they just went around the problem. They avoided the problem. But the Samaritan, the very one who they hated is the very one who went to the problem. He didn't go out of the way. The extent, the extent of the Samaritan's compassion and care was limitless. limitless. It wasn't just knowledge in his head. It was action. That is what faith in action looks like. Think about it in the story. What does he do? He gets his hands dirty. He uses his resources. He risks being robbed himself. What if the robbers are still hiding out in a cave near the road? He wants to ensure complete and full recovery. So he takes the man on his own animal to a safe place. He spends the night there and he even pays for his care and his medical bills and any future expenses. So think about all the sacrifices the Samaritan is making. He is sacrificing his own time, his own journey and plans, right? I mean, think about his plans, Like, would you ever miss a flight, right, to help someone in need? Would you ever, you know, not go to this appointment that you have because someone else is in trouble and if you don't help them, they're not going to know what to do, right? I mean, we just, we're so calendar-driven, plan-oriented people in our society today, it's unthinkable for us to miss something that we want to do to help somebody else. But that's exactly what he did. Look at, let me think about that, right? Right? His plans were completely disrupted. Where was he going? We don't even know. (laughs) We just know that he didn't get there when he probably thought he would. He sacrificed money. He was willing to give generously. In short, he willingly and sacrificially enters into this man's problem to deliver him out of the problem. Now, if you're a Christ follower in here today, Shouldn't that sound familiar? Because isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? Did he not insert himself into our problem so that he could deliver us out of it? Jesus himself came to earth like the Samaritan. He moved towards the problem, us. He moved towards the brokenness of the world to save the world. You can see that in the the ways that he approaches people. When no one else would would touch a diseased, leprous man, what does Jesus do? He moves towards him and touches what no one else would touch. When no one else would talk to an adulterous woman, Jesus talks to the adulterous woman. You see this happening over and over in Jesus' ministry. What is he doing? He's making all things new. He's redeeming the world one person at a time. He's moving towards the problem. He goes the extra mile. He shows true love in the ultimate sacrifice of his life on the cross. So Jesus says, as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Guys, we can't just have the head knowledge of Christianity. We can't just know. I mean, I don't, I don't doubt at all that almost probably every single person in this room has the head knowledge of what would be good things to do in our society today to help others in need or to help those around us who are hurting. But We must put our faith into action, enter into the storm with somebody and help them. So to love our neighbors well, let's avoid knowledge without action and let's love like Jesus loved us. But number two, let's also avoid justifying our inaction. Let's avoid justifying our inaction. You see, we spend a lot of time in our lives trying to justify the bad things we do, don't we? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry you know, that I did this or I'm sorry that I said this, right? But we also spend a lot of time trying to justify our inaction, right? Honey, I thought you said you were going to do the dishes. Oh, I'm sorry. I was watching football and I mean, the game went late. The Jaguars won, though, right? <laughs> that's what this that's what this lawyer is doing. He's justifying what he didn't do or doesn't want to do, his inaction. He's desiring to justify himself the text says, so he's defending this inaction. In other words, this lack of loving his neighbor. So when he asked Jesus, and and, um, by the way, Jesus, before you go, who is my neighbor? He's really asking, uh, what's the minimum requirement here? Right? It's like in college. Remember in college when on the first day of class, the professor gives you the class syllabus, and at least, you know, you're like me, you're looking over and you're thinking all right, what's the least I can do is still get a B. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's, that's, what, that's what the lawyer's doing here. Like what's the least I can do and still pass, you know, still be okay, right? He wants this to be easy. He wants this to fit into his already neatly packaged life. He doesn't want any disruption in his daily rhythms and routines. So if it is inconvenient for him to show love to a neighbor, it's probably not gonna happen. So he will get defensive. He'll think of all kinds of excuses for not loving those around him. How quick are we though? How quick are we to justify our inaction when it comes to getting, know, when it comes to, getting to know those around us who don't follow Jesus? What I mean is, maybe think of your real neighbors in your neighborhood or apartment complex or your coworkers your family, your friends that you've known for a while, but you haven't talked to them about the Lord, right? When it comes to not getting to know the people around us in our circles of influence in hopes of sharing the hope of Jesus with them because they don't know Christ, right? Maybe there's just a justification for our inaction, for our lack of concern and care for their soul. We try to justify this. We try to justify not serving in the church, We try to justify not serving different uh, opportunities in our city for the betterment of our society as a whole. Even when it comes to helping a friend or a family member sometimes, we just justify our inaction. But while we are busy justifying our inaction in pursuit of self-preservation and comfort, we see in this parable the exact opposite, right? Think about the Samaritan. His compassion prevents him from justifying inaction. He's too compassionate to do that. This isn't isn't self-preservation. This is self-giving love. You see, true love for your neighbor involves some kind of sacrifice, right? It's going to cost you. It cost him greatly. And Jesus, think about Jesus himself. While we're busy justifying our lack of compassion and lack of concern and lack, lack of care for others, Jesus lays down his life for us gives the ultimate cost the ultimate sacrifice get this also he could justify you so that he could justify you in other words to forgive you of your sins and pay the penalty of your sin and declare you righteous before a holy god so as we look to the example of Christ let's be careful to not make it a habit in our lives of just justifying our Lack of concern, lack of compassion, lack of action when it comes to loving those around us. Lastly, to love our neighbors well, number three, we must avoid this. We must avoid excluding certain types of people from being our neighbor. You see, when the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? He wants a list, a preferably short list. And the last person in the world he wanted on that list was the Samaritan. But Jesus is showing him that the exact kind of person he doesn't love and doesn't want to consider a neighbor, he's far more loving than you. You know, to maintain our normal routines and to have little disruption in our busy lives, there will have to be a lot of people not on our list. Jesus speaks about this earlier in the Gospel of Luke. We heard this. Kim read this for us in our worship. Luke 6, verse 32 through 36, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But do you understand how shocking these next words are? But love your enemies. Love the people who think differently than you. Love the people who perhaps have done harm to you. Love the people who vote differently than you. Love the people who live in a different neighborhood than you. Love the people who you and maybe society defines as perhaps the other, maybe even an enemy. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In other words, he's kind to everyone. Everyone has a chance to experience the mercy of God. So Jesus says, verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says, for if while we were enemies... We were enemies of God. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? You see, the Samaritan helped this stranger that society told him should be his enemy. But he helped him in all of these ways as if he were family. But that's exactly how Jesus has treated us. We were strangers and enemies of God. Do you really believe that? You know, maybe we think a little too highly of ourselves sometimes, that God just looked at us and thought we were so cuddly and lovable. How could he not? How could he not love us and put us in heaven forever with him, right? But no, it is the opposite. God looks down on us and he sees helpless people drowning, dead, dead in their own sin who cannot help themselves. And so he has compassion because he is a merciful and gracious God, quick to forgive. We were strangers and enemies of God, but he loved his enemy he loved us in christ we're new people you see we we we're given a new life we're now under good standing before a holy god if you follow jesus if you've turned your life to him and so the evidence the evidence that you have been reconciled with a god who used who you used to be an enemy of the evidence of that that you've embraced His love for you, is that you treat others as He has treated you. Perhaps like this lawyer, we strive for a neatly packaged life. You know, maybe our top goals, if we were to list them out, you know, have an esteemed career. Be known as a smart and respected person. We want to be successful. We want to be comfortable, don't we? But as we strive for those things at the top of our list, for these selfish gains, as we're striving for those things, they require us to build walls around our life so that we can keep our focus intent on achieving those things that we think will give us ultimate happiness. And so as we build these walls around us, the only people we let inside the walls are those who we think will benefit us somehow. So if this person is useful to me being successful, or if this person is useful for my own high self-esteem to be respected in this world, I'll let them inside. But the walls keep us from seeing the needs of everyone else. You see, the good news of Jesus, as he states it in this parable, breaks the walls down. There are no walls in the kingdom of God. As Jesus was open to all, a servant to all, so we must live like this. You know, on a very practical note, you may be thinking, okay, well, what what does this look like? And I don't really know. I don't really know what the needs around me are. Perhaps if Jesus, if you pray and ask him to tear down those walls, you'll begin to see them But if you don't know of any needs around you, maybe you need to get to know your neighbors. And I mean that in the American literal sense of the word first, right? Just think about those who do live around you. Get to know them. Are they all Christians? (laughs) Do they all love Jesus? Probably not. Think of the people around you that are lost, that are hurting. And at the end of the day, what do they need? They need someone to just come alongside them and assure them that they're not in the fight alone. But what they really need beyond that is eternal hope. They need the hope of a living God, Jesus Christ himself, to know that forgiveness is available for everyone. What are you doing to get to know your neighbors? You know, maybe you can get to know their needs and perhaps even serve a mission organization through a community group here at Kearney. That's another great way to serve our city, to serve those who are hurting and in need in different pockets around Jacksonville, Florida. Talk to your community group leader about ways that you you guys can serve together. Daryl Bach, to quote him again, he says, the task of dealing with pain in the world is so vast that we may not know where, we may not know where to begin, or how we can hope to make a dent and what needs to be done. He says, maybe I cannot help everywhere, but I can help somewhere. Being a neighbor does not require meeting every need of which I become aware, but of becoming one piece of a large puzzle that helps meaningfully in a specific context. And I think that's so true, isn't it? Listen, we can't do everything as a church and you can't do everything as an individual, but my goodness, we can do something. And if we look to this illustration that Jesus gave, if we look to Jesus himself, may we be the people of God who don't avoid the messiness and the inconvenience and the discomfort that comes with helping others but like the Samaritan and ultimately like Jesus, may we move towards the hurting. May we move towards those in need, helping them with their tangible needs as we also help them with their spiritual needs, giving them the hope of Jesus Christ, the living God. When we come to recognize, embrace, and meditate on the love we've been given, it will naturally overflow out of our hearts to others, truly a love without limits. Would you pray with me? And let's ask the Lord to show us how we can be a good neighbor to everyone, every image bearer of God that we come in contact with. Maybe you need to confess this morning that you have knowledge without action that you've been justifying your inaction or perhaps even excluding people off your list. Can we pray and ask the Lord today to just help us throw away the list and just open our eyes, tear down the walls and open our eyes to see those who are already around us? We probably don't have to go very far at all. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us see the needs of our neighbors, the hope of the gospel and how to share that with them. Would you pray with me?